How was class this morning with Pastor Wes? Good stuff, isn't it? You know why he does all that? Because you're going to be giving Bible studies when you leave here. <laughs> you guys are quiet. I got one yep. The rest of you are like this. No, this is all good. All right. Now, I know that he touched a little bit on, oh, I've got to do this here. He touched a little bit on the Daniel 2 study. I'm going to be talking about Daniel 2, the first lesson, and some other things about it in general. Today, uh, I want to talk about the, I want to talk about the um, delivery of the Bible study. Tomorrow, what we're going to do, let me get my schedule out so I'm not misspeaking here. Tomorrow afternoon, you're going to be giving studies to each other. You're going to divide into groups, and you're going to give studies. <laughs> Woohoo! Yes! Amen! I can't wait! Now, so what we're going to do is, now here's, let me, let me just fill in some gaps here. You're going to give studies, so we'll break you up in different places, and this is going to, you know, we'll probably, does anybody know what the weather's going to do tomorrow? Man. Because you, we're, we're going to want to spread out a little bit for the studies, just because to have everybody, yeah, we can use the hallway, but I thought, you know, it was nice. I don't know. So we got conference officers who own those empty rooms and you invade space there. So we'll figure it out. But you're going to be planning on, here's what I want you to do. When I go over this today, I know you've got all kinds of time. How many read your reading assignments? Good, good, good. Very good. I know you got a lot going on. Now, tonight, what I want you to do is pick a study. You can pick any study in that set and prepare it the way I'm about to talk to you about preparing a study today. I will tell you that the, the, the biggest difference in giving a study is your preparation of the study. And I can tell with a student who's prepared for the study and who isn't. And, you know, anytime. When we've run a 10-day session or a short session like this, I know that there's a lot going on. And so for most students in a setting like this, you really haven't had the time to prepare that you would if you were actually giving the study, and I know that. Having said that, though, what you're going to do is when you divide up to give the studies, we're going to go around and monitor you giving the studies. Now, what will happen, Charity, for example, is if you're giving the study to Julie over here, I may come over while you're giving the study. I may sit here. You know, I try not to be too, okay? I may come over. Like, no, I try not to get right in your, but you've, get, you've just got to envision me or, uh, you know, Pastor Cameron's going to be here, uh, and I think my brother Jim's going to be here, and you've just got to see us as kind of like guardian angels helping you to deliver that, right? Because you have guardian angels when you're given studies. You know that, right? And, and, and you know, we'll, we'll try to pick up on, I'm going to tell you right now, most of you are going to make some common mistakes in giving studies. We'll point those out and um, in a nice general way, okay? I'm not going to call you up here and put your name on the board. Um, but the, but the point and purpose of that is to help you to understand ways that you can give the study uh, more effectively. 
Okay, but anyway, that's what we're doing tomorrow. So you pick any one of these studies, and you're going to work on preparing it the best you can between now and then. But today I'm going to talk about preparing a study, and then tomorrow morning we're going to try to pick up on that same idea, like Pastor Cameron's going to talk about the Great Controversy study. And one of the things I know Pastor West talked on a little bit is when you give a study, there are usually main points, not usually, there's always main points you're trying to convey. You may have, let's see what I have in this lesson again, 16 questions. Well, you're, you don't have 16 points you're making, okay? And so what will happen when you're giving the study is you've got to be clear, this is part of your preparation, on what you're really wanting to get across in that study, okay? If you don't know what you're trying to get across, how is your student going to know what you're trying to get across? So that's, that's going to be key when you're giving the study. What am I really trying to get across? That will help you to give it more effectively. Well, Pastor Cameron's going to talk about the Great Controversy study and just walk through some of the things that you want to get across in that study. If we had time, we'd go through every one of these doctrines and we'd say, you know, these are the key points, this is why this doctrine's important, etc. Yes? Yeah. Well, your, but your points may not be the study's three points. And I guess what, I want, what, I want, what I'm saying to you is this. You can't let the tool do your work for you. Okay? You can't let the tool do your thinking for you. One of the, probably the, one of the greatest hindrances to us sharing our faith and giving studies is our own lack of ownership of our faith. When you come to a conviction of why you believe what you believe about each topic, you'll know the points that you want to convey in the study. And that's part of the, part of the, I just recently did this for my church in prayer meeting, I'll be honest with you, with Daniel 2. And it, it can be difficult to go through a doctrine and say, now what am I really wanting to get across here? I mean, there are a lot of things you say, there's a lot of points you make, but what am I really trying to convey? And it's a good exercise to have to go through and say, what's the really important part of this thing? And I'll tell you this as well, I could do a Daniel 2 study a couple different ways depending on what I'm emphasizing, maybe depending on who I'm studying it with. I may be studying with an individual where the more, when you're doing personal Bible studies, you get to know an individual, and the more you get to know that individual, you'll tailor things to where you know they need guidance. That's why, again, this is a tool. You are the laborer that works with the tool. And some of you are looking at me now and you're thinking, I wouldn't know how to do that. Oh, yes, you will. I'm going to tell you, when you, are there there are times I go to, to teach something, and I know the basic thing that I'm teaching. I have notes and everything else. I'm thinking, Lord, what am I, what am I really going to get across? Or what am I, you know, I just, I'm, it's not as clear in my mind as I want it to be. And then I get in a situation, maybe it's in a Bible study, maybe it's teaching something, and I get in a situation, the thought just comes, what I need. Okay, the Lord will do that for you. When you spend your time with him, you're letting, you're relying upon him, uh, when you work with somebody in a personal study situation and you get to know them, you're going to be surprised how the Lord will be able to work and help you to lead them in, a way, in ways that are really practical for them in their particular situation and their struggles, bring text to mind and all kinds of things. Now, I made a, I need to make copies, I made a handout for you of all the different, the new revised study order, like I told you I was going to, but I didn't make copies of it yet. I thought I'd have more time to make copies. 
Um, there is something, though, that I need to bring up here. And then we're going to have prayer. And we're going to go into this, this lesson. I have an outline. I'm just trying to remember where I put my outline. Uh, huh. There it is. Okay. We're going to go ahead and have prayer together, okay? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we do thank you uh, for a lovely day. And we ask now that you would guide us in this class. Give us understanding. Lord, help us to be effective. Help us to learn how to be effective in winning souls to the truth. It's your truth, Lord. It's your spirit that does the work, but work through us. Help us to learn how to be laborers, the kind of laborers you need for the harvest. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now I had shared with you, you take out your lesson number one, can God be trusted? And I shared with you yesterday that this particular lesson, the power in the Daniel 2 lesson, there's two things you can do with Daniel 2. One of the things that Daniel 2 will do is it'll bring a person face to face with the imminence of the coming of Christ. When you see that, wow, Babylon's come and gone, Medo-Persia's come and gone, Greece has come and gone, Rome's come and gone, Rome's been divided, the divisions of Rome are there. You've seen over history the nations trying to come together and, and form this, you know, union again, and every time has failed. There's only one thing left in the vision, and that is the stone cut out without hands, which represents the coming of Christ. So it helps people to realize that, wow, when we look at the image, where are we? Some people say we're in the toenails, right? We're way down here at the end. And so that there's something compelling when a person sees that. So the one thing that the Daniel 2 study does for somebody is helps them to realize that Jesus is coming and he's coming soon. But the other thing it does is it gives them confidence in what? Confidence in the Bible. And so um, that your purpose of the Daniel 2 study is to, let me say this. And again, I know I, I wanted to, I wanted to, I had to go, I had an appointment. I want to hear everything Pastor West covered today, but I know he covers some of this stuff when he's talking to you about writing your own uh, study. Did he give you an assignment on that? <laughs> For tomorrow? Oh, okay. He hasn't, he hasn't communicated that to me yet. Uh, that, I'm going to tell you again, all of those types of things are very, you know, they're challenging, but they're very good. I remember the first, when I went to Mission College of Evangelism, we had to write a whole study series. And I still have them because, you know, you do stuff on computers, so you save it. And I have my study series. It's way too long, each study. But when I look back at it, I remember one of the hardest things I had to do was decide the order of my studies. Now, I, when I wrote my studies, and you can do this when you write studies, I don't know, maybe he told you not to do this, and then I'd be, you know, giving you something. That I don't want to contradict your teacher, but I would take other studies. I wouldn't just copy them, but I mean, I would, I would look at other studies. If I'm doing a study on Daniel 2, you know, what does historical studies say about Daniel 2? What does is, what is, uh, Mark Finley's Search for Certainty do? And, you know, I'd look at different studies and see, oh, that's a good text, that's a good text. So I would glean. And in the same way, I gleaned the order of the studies. But just having to process through in my mind, why is this 
why is this study, you know, at that point when I was writing the studies, I mean, I just would have had any study anywhere. We talked yesterday about the Daniel 2 and following up with the Great Con. Yeah, I could have had a Great Controversy here and then the Mark of the Beast here and who knows what. I just jumbled them all in. So I hadn't given much thought to why a certain study went in a certain place. And when I had to write my own, I thought it would be easier. But when I had to really process it, it really challenged me. But that challenge helped me to understand better why things are in the, the order that they are. And so these kind of exercises, you might not have an assignment from Pastor Wes, but to try to develop your own studies over time is a helpful thing for you to do. Um, in part, because we all think a different way. Even as you, the more studies you give, here, it, it's going to happen naturally. If you start giving more Bible studies, soon you're going to be like, you know, I just don't like the way this study does this. Well, you know what you can do? You can modify it. That's the beauty of it, because you're it's just a tool in your hands. Okay? So even outside of Pastor Wes's assignment, I'd encourage you to spend time. You know, when you got those Sabbath afternoons and you're tempted to just go take a nap somewhere and think, you know, I'd like I'd rather do something productive, sit down with a topic and come up with a Bible study. You know, another good source is the Bible readings for the home, because they're all question and answer Bible study. And you can take, it'll give you ideas for or how to put stuff together. Um, but one of the things you want to do when you're doing any study is you want to ask yourself, what is the point of this study? Why am I giving this study? You do that for two reasons. First reason, you got to know where you're going if they're going to know where you're going. Okay, If you don't know where you're going, you're not leading anybody anywhere. Number two, when you come to the end of the study, every study needs to have this. And I know Pastor West talked about it. What does every study need to have at the end? Ah, some sort of appeal. You're just appealing for them to make, to respond. Like why, you know, here's the thing about a Bible study or sermons or these kind of things. You're presenting information in a Bible study that's for the sole purpose of getting a person to, you're putting things in the clearest, most logical order that you can to convince them of what's true. Now, why would you try to convince somebody of something that you have no intention or, or no um, purpose for them to follow it? You want people to follow the truth, right? And so that's what your appeal is. And so all an appeal is, is that's what you're asking them to do with a study. So when you're coming up with your purpose, your purpose really helps you with your appeal. Your purpose is, what do I want them to do when this thing's said and done? When I give them a study on the Sabbath, what am I hoping they'll do when I get done with that study on the Sabbath? I, 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 what do I mean by accepting the Sabbath? I want them to keep it, right? I want them to obey the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. I want them to put that into practice. One of the reasons I bring that up is we had a situation... Um, Somebody here asked me the same thing the other day, and we'll talk about it more when we get into conviction and decisions on Thursday. But I had a church member who said, I don't know what to do with this person I'm studying with. Um, you know, they seem to, they, they seem to be not doing, not, they're not moving forward. And when you're, I'll tell you this, this is important to understand. The Sabbath is a, is a key study for most people. If a person accepts the Sabbath, then chances are they're going to accept most of everything else. 
it's one of the biggest hurdles that people have. Now, that's not across the board. There may be somebody who's hung up on something else. But here's the thing. If a person's hung up on the subject of the state of the dead, the state of the dead can be tricky. If you look at the Bible, see, our, our society has so changed the language that when you talk about, when a Hebrew talked about the soul, they weren't thinking of some spirit flying through the air. But you talk soul today, and that's what everybody thinks. So it's already kind of programmed in the mind. So you read a text that says, um, in the King James Version, how does it word it again? In Genesis, uh, Rachel was dying. It says, as Rachel was dying, uh, for her soul departed, something to that effect. Oh, her soul departed. She was dying. Well, there it is. She died, and the spirit thing went. Well, a Hebrew wouldn't have read it that way. They didn't understand the word that way. But a person in our day and age, when they hear soul or they hear spirit, that's what they think is some disembodied part of you that lives on after. So when you get into a subject like that, because of some of those things, sometimes there's more to work through. But with a subject like the Sabbath, the Sabbath is really clear. I'm telling you, the Sabbath, you can show what day the Sabbath is on from Scripture. You can show that it's something that everybody in the Scripture kept the seventh-day Sabbath. Jesus, the apostles, Jesus expected his future followers to keep it. It's, it's, uh, it's easier to defend. And it's at the core of worship. And my experience has been that when a person commits to the Sabbath, they're committed. And when a person is hedging on things, it's not uncommon that they're hedging on something way down here because they're really trying to get around the Sabbath. And I've seen that happen. So I'm studying, this church member says, well, I've got this person, and I'm just not getting anywhere on the Sabbath. I said, what are, they doing? what are they doing about the Sabbath? Oh, they love the Sabbath, they said. They're all about the Sabbath. I said, are they keeping the Sabbath? Well, I think they try to keep it at home. No, 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 no. The Bible says in Leviticus 23 that the Sabbath is a holy convocation. You know what a convocation is? It's a gathering. You don't keep Sabbath by yourself. I'm not saying you can't at some point or the other, but the point, it's a corporate thing. And, uh, and I said, are they, you know, are they coming to church? Have they come to church on the Sabbath? Well, no. Well, don't, just because somebody told you that they, oh, I accept the Sabbath. Yeah, I see it. It's the seventh day and everything else. Well, why aren't they following it then? There's a difference. And so when you're giving that study on the Sabbath, you want them to be following it, okay? And so you want to be thinking about it. What's my purpose? That means your appeal is going to be in some way or the other inviting them to put it into practice. Now, what's the purpose of the study, do you think, in Daniel 2? If I'm giving a Daniel 2 study, what am I wanting at the end of that study? Okay, I want them to trust the Bible. Now, you could say, I want them to join the church. But realistically, which could be true, but realistically, this information should be adequate for them to, to say, yeah, I'm willing to trust the Bible. It may, I mean, it's one study, so I wouldn't expect a person to throw even their whole life on the Bible just yet. But if a person's been skeptical or whatever else, I would want to ask something at the, at the end of the first lesson that says, would you be willing to learn more of the Bible to understand God's will for your life or something like that, you know? My appeal generally on Daniel 2, because it comes in, in this case, especially as a first study, is would you be willing to continue studying the Bible? Do you see that God has uh, spoken through his word, that it's God's, um, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's, it's I'm, I'm in, in a way, simmering out, out a little bit. It's, this is God's inspired word. It's God's 
um, word to you and me. Uh, do you see that God is behind the Bible? It's not just the words of men, but it's words of the God, uh, the uh, God of the universe. Would you be willing to study that more? That's my appeal is going to be somewhat like that. Like I'm wanting them to see that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And I understand that if a person, you know, what I'm saying is I'm not balking if a person's like, well, I still have questions. They're not going to have all their questions answered after one study. But the one study should help them see the Bible's more than just a book written by men. And are you willing to study more to understand God better? That's somewhere where my appeal is going to be. So that's my purpose. That my purpose and my appeal are tied together. That's the point that I'm making. You follow that? So I want to know where I'm going with the study. What's my purpose in giving this study? That's going to help me know what I'm asking them to do at the end of the study. That's part of my preparation. Don't put that off. When you prepare that study, you want that to be clear, that this is what I'm giving it for. And you know, sometimes people put the appeal as an afterthought. And what that means is the whole purpose of giving the study is kind of an afterthought. Okay, You don't want to do it that way. You don't want to be giving the study um, and be clear on what you're, what you're trying to convey. Now, Daniel 2, basic study of Daniel 2 is the rise and fall of these world empires that God foretold would exist. And the purpose, of course, of giving that is that I can look through, I can point somebody back to uh, a historical source. I mean, most of, your, most of the people you're going to study with have had enough of a knowledge of history you're not going to have to get a history book out and show them. They may go home and investigate after the study or what have you. But know that most people have enough of knowledge of history that when you go through Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, while they may not have all thought a lot about Babylon, some more know about Persia, but almost everybody knows about Greece and Rome. So at some point, they're on with you, and they're like, wow, I see that. Um, you're just conveying that historical picture the Bible gives in prophecy to give them confidence in the Bible. Now. You've got your question-answer format, and honestly, to go through a question-answer Bible study, and I've already brought this out, is a matter of, well, it can seem simple, but it's not. And it can be, but it's not often, and I'll tell you why. This is the biggest mistake. I'm telling you, the biggest mistake people make up front, so you know it, so you don't do it. And even as I do this, some of you are going to do it because that's just what people do. Okay? I've seen it happen so many times. I emphasize it. I'm like, I'm going to save the students the embarrassment. We're going to talk about this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And they do it anyway. And that is, let's just look at the study for a minute. And let's, um, Pastor West talked about when you get into the study and how you start out the study. When you get in a person's home, you socialize first and all that. He talked about that. Don't socialize at the end. You're going to socialize first. Don't keep socializing out. I remember when I did Bible work, it was brutal, and I'll tell you for a couple reasons. Um, you don't want to go too long in a study. But I remember being told by some that I should be able to have everything done in 45 minutes. I just couldn't do it. And I felt, I mean, I guilted myself over that so many times because I go into a study. You know, people want to chat with you, and they're... Sometimes it's learning how to curtail that conversation and move into the study. But still, I, would, I, I was using the historicals of prophecy, Bible studies, when I first became a Bible worker. And historical studies take forever to do with somebody. 
because you have 17 questions and they all have three or four texts with each one. You try looking that up. You try just going over filling in the blanks and explaining it. Well, I didn't understand at the time. I really didn't understand at the time preparing my study. What I would have done preparing a lesson like that is I would have decided which one of those three or four texts I wanted to go over and scratch the rest of them so I could get through my material. But I didn't know that. And I would try to get through that study. And uh, at any rate, I tell people that my, the limit that I personally would recommend not going beyond, you'll hear this, you'll hear different, unfortunately, from, from one standpoint. Unfortunately, you'll hear a lot of different, everybody has their opinion. This is my opinion. But I shoot for an hour and 15 minutes. Total time, including, including, so about an hour for the study and about 15 minutes for socializing. Sometimes it's less than that, but that's just where I aim for. I get to the home, and the more you get to know somebody, now I studied with this one young lady who was not a conversationalist. And you may know what I'm talking about. You may have studied with somebody who, they just don't talk much. Some people will chat your ear off. It's all you can do to get into the study. They'll be talking to you for four hours before you're like, okay, let's get started with the study. But this particular person would not, I had to draw them out all the time. You know what I mean? I don't know if you've ever had this where you're talking to somebody, so how was your week? Okay, that kind of thing. Everything's like that. Well, so incidentally, if you have, if you have a problem Talking with people like that, and, and the, you know, you're like, you know, Charity, how was your week? Okay. Well, what kind of things happened to you this week? Same yeah, <laughs> exactly. Same thing. Well, tell me something that happened this week. I'm just going to keep asking questions. And what happens is this. When you start studying, depending on the person, initially, some people are going to be very reserved. Your studies are going to go real quick. They don't engage a lot. You ask questions. They still don't talk a lot. You've got to draw them out. But inevitably, as you build relationships with people, they'll open up to you, and that's going to change, okay? So a tendency in a study is we get into the study. Socializing can be real short, depending on the person. But once you've been in the home, and I want to finish up this hour and 15 minutes thing, the way I learned it, I, it was like get in there, study, get out, and the socializing was really played down. And I didn't realize how key that socializing is. So I, I really got the part on don't socialize at the end of the study. You want to leave them with the impression and everything else. But with that, for some reason, that communicated to me, you just don't spend a lot of time socializing. The thing is, is the socializing is an aspect that builds the relationship. And if you cut that out, you lose a lot of influence you have as a you know, Bible worker, Bible studier, whatever you want to call yourself as you're kind of coaching them, that's where that relationship comes. So I, I would be, you want to make sure you have that time. What would happen is over the course of time, I find out how their week is going, and inevitably, oh, I got this test at school this week. Let's pray about that. And then when I come next time, what do I, what do, I do when we start socializing? How was your test? How'd it go? Oh, great. And then, you know, and so it may not be long before the person is opening up, and now you're like, how do I get into the study? And so what I would always do, you're directing that. And some people feel uncomfortable. You've got to learn this as, a per, uh, giving, as somebody who's giving Bible studies. You've got to learn to direct the conversation. Okay, you get, you're the teacher. Um, I don't know how to say this. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, facilitator mentality. 
I've heard it. I'm not criticizing you if you've done this, but I'm just saying I hear it a lot in our church's Sabbath school class. Well, I'm not your teacher. I'm, a, I'm the facilitator. What that means is we're all going to have a discussion and nobody's going to really learn anything. It doesn't have to mean that way, but in a lot of places, that's what it is. We're just going to share our opinions. No, I'm here to learn something. When you're in the Bible study, don't be afraid. You're not putting yourself up on some high and mighty chair to teach. Because that's what people do. It's like, well, I don't want to say I'm the teacher because it makes me better than them. No, it doesn't. It doesn't, and it doesn't mean you can't learn anything from them. But somebody's got to lead. And what happens is in that social time, you're the one who's going to gauge it. If you don't gauge it and, and don't control things a little bit, when I mean control things, what I would do is we chat a little bit, and then my transition, my way to get out of the social time into the study was prayer. I would find a place and say, well, we got a great study. Why don't we pray together and get into the study? And it would just... It was a good way to go from something that was more secular to I'm going to move into the study time, we're going to pray together. It, it wasn't offensive. It would have been more abrupt to say, uh, at least for me it felt maybe more abrupt to just say, okay, enough of that, let's go into the study. So prayer t- tended to be a transition, a smooth transition. And what you'll find is if you do that as you're studying with somebody, it doesn't take but a couple times and they just learn. And you, it becomes a routine and they flow right with that. They know that we're going to talk a little bit and then, you're directing the conversation. If you don't, what can happen is you'll spend your whole study time and now you've got 10 minutes left to give the study because you've been socializing the whole time and you are afraid to turn, you are afraid to stop it and change and switch gears. So I'm just telling you, when you're giving a study, you're giving the study. You lead it out. It's not mean to say, okay, now why don't we pray together? We got a great lesson. And you can even say, well, you know, I have another appointment after this. I'd love to talk more, but we really need to get into this lesson. I mean, Anything like that, there are certain people who will talk a whole lot. And I'm just going to tell you something now. This will happen in many aspects of witnessing. A person who talks a lot is already used to being told, well, let's move on. <laughs> I'm just telling you, they've had that in life. Other people told them, I don't have. So you want to be kind about it. But just remember, you're there. You've got to focus. You don't want to socialize the whole time because you're there to give a study, but you don't want to cut all the socialization out because you bond during that. And they'll work within your parameters as you lead out. And you, you learn things about them. You want to incorporate the, as you talk about things and they share with you problems, you want to say, hey, let's pray about that. You want to ask them about those things. And then when you wrap up the study at the end, it's not like you finish the study and say, okay, I'm going to go. And you, know, you can say, okay, well, okay, next week, we're on for the same time, right? I'm going to be praying for that test this week. You know, you'll, it's not like you won't have any dialogue whatsoever, but you do most of that up front of the study. So I'll transition into the study with prayer. Um, and before I go on and talk about that, I'm going to go into the study itself. Any questions on what I've talked about so far? So I'll just, yes. I want to um, You said you have to own it, and that's true. And in this one, three points to remember, we don't have. We can trust in the Bible and prophetic messages contained in it. Right. I, wouldn't it be a good idea for you to write that in their little book before you even give it to them? Yes. Well, I, not, for, not for them. I wouldn't write in their lesson. Oh, okay. I would write in my lesson. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to give that study different than I'm going to give that study, and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. The beauty of Bible studies is God is, you know, when the Bible tells us the Word became flesh, that Jesus, the living Word, the the written Word became Jesus, the living Word, and the Word becomes flesh through each one of us. And God uses our different 
Just like the gospel writers were all different, he uses your uniquenesses to connect with people that are like you. And so when you're preparing this study, you're going to say, hey, wait a minute, this study doesn't make such and such a point. Somebody else in this room may never even thought about that and would say, yeah, well, it, it's going to be made in general. In other words, they may not think the same way, but when you're preparing the study, that's the whole idea is when you're preparing the study and you think, you know, this lesson needs this or that, jot it in there. You might look at a text and you might say, you know, this text says this, but I know a text that I like better than that. You may add the text or replace a text, you know, switch them. You can do that. That's all part of the preparation process. Isn't that part of the adaptability of the group study where you like, for instance, you said getting to socialize with them? Yes. And there, once you learn to know what their particular felt need is, can you right. You're going to find that as you're preparing your lesson, you know more about them, you're going to maybe think of something. You think as, you're, as, the, as the lesson's hitting on a certain topic or a certain question, you might think, wow, I know a text would really be applicable to their situation. That just, that's all in the preparation. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in that preparation. But I want to talk about the delivery of the lesson now. So I'm, I, we've, I've come to your house. We've socialized together. And now... I say, okay, well, we've got a great lesson today, and I'll usually do, I'll plug the lesson. Today we're going to talk about, today we're going to look at a prophecy, an ancient prophecy that, that was written 600 years before Christ and told the future uh, uh, right on point, right up to our day. Hey, this is a great study. It's one of my favorites, which I say a lot with a lot of stuff. But it is. I like it. It's a lot. I have a lot of favorites. So let's pray together, and we'll dive into it. And so we pray together before the study. And um, you're not giving a long, drawn-out prayer. You're just a simple, Lord, you know, Father in heaven, thank you for, uh, I usually thank the Lord for the person and the, 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 this, you know, my new friend, or I thank you for uh, Tom and the time we were able to spend together. I just ask your Holy Spirit would be with us today to guide us in this lesson in Jesus' name, amen. I mean, something brief. It's not, you're not, some people feel like they've got to pray really long prayers. In a, in a study situation, which can be awkward. So I'm not saying you can't at any time. I'm just saying you're, you're before, you're just asking for guidance in the study uh, from the Lord, the Holy Spirit. Yes. Is that appropriate for us at that time? Sure, sure. In your socializing time, you might say, do you have any prayer requests before we pray today? And you can bring those in as well. Sure. Uh, absolutely. So we transition into the lesson. Now, here's what I was about to tell you, which is the mistake that you don't want to make but happens all the time. So I'm giving you the lesson. We sat down to give the study, and I would sit down actually in the chair to give the study, but the, the, the camera would, it would be mess things up. So, um, but if I was sitting down and we're at a table or whatever else, it's nice to sit at a table. Sometimes you're usually going to give your study at somebody's table or in, the or in their living room, or these days a lot of people don't want you in their homes. And sometimes they'll be coming to your house for the study, or you'll meet at a place for the study. And just, I'm going to interject this here because I wasn't here to hear. Did Pastor West talk about girls studying with guys and guys studying? Good. Um, yeah, just be careful about that. And I'm going to tell you, this day and age, all somebody has to do is make an accusation. It doesn't have to be true in the slightest degree. I had an accusation made about me at one point, and I realized I was unguarded, and it wasn't, there wasn't the slightest bit of truth, but I had no alibi. Boy, there's nothing more unnerving than that. It could have cost me my whole ministry. So just go in pairs or study in a public place or something like that, okay? So we're sitting together in the study. 
Okay, question number one. Now, I'm going to do it the wrong way, and maybe you can see what the wrong way is. Question number one in our lesson, you've got your lesson there, number one. The question is, how does God demonstrate that he can be trusted? And the text is Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Let's look that up, Isaiah 46 and verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from, the, from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So you see here that God is saying that the way he can be trusted, the way we know he can be trusted is that he can tell the future. You see that? Okay, question number two. In the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, how did God reveal his trustworthiness? Now, the text here is in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Now, can anybody tell me what the problem is? I'm monologuing, and there is nothing that makes us... I'm doing all the talking myself. There is nothing that makes a study more of a drag than the person giving the study doing all the talking. Okay? What's more, the person that you're studying with learns very little. And I'll, I'll highlight that in a minute. Now, I've told students this before. I'm saying, look, you're doing all the talking. You need, to, you need to ask them the question. Let them read the text. Oh, got it. Right? So this is how we do. I tell a student that. Let's start over. How does God demonstrate that he can be trusted. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Another thing I did, somebody over here should be able to tell me something else I did wrong there. Yeah, I heard people turn and that's what I started laughing at. I'm like, I would never do that in a study. You hear the person, they get there at the end of the text. So they don't, I want them to see it in their Bible. Okay, now in this case, if they've had the lesson ahead and they filled in the blanks, I'll read it from the lesson, but I want them to see the Bible text at some point or the other. No, I plowed ahead and I didn't wait for them, okay? So, so remember, when you're studying with somebody, it's for their benefit, not that you can't game, it's their benefit, not you to plow through and show how great you are and what all you know. And so, okay, I give the counsel to the student, oh, I got it. How does God, question number one, how does God demonstrate that he can be trusted? Let's look at Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Now Isaiah is in, if you open your Bible in the middle, you'll be close to Isaiah. You might be in uh, the Psalms or Proverbs or, or somewhere like that. Just keep on going through the Old Testament toward the back of the Bible. You come to the book of Isaiah, it's a pretty big book. You find it there? Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. Are you there? You should be there because we had plenty of time to look it up from the last time. But anyway, <laughs> remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Oh, I did it again, didn't I? Say so, 46, 9, and 10. I was doing it the wrong way again. Okay, so who am I going to pick on here? Ron, would you read that for me, please? Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. 
Okay, so you can see there that God is to be trusted because he can tell the future, right? You see that? Okay, question number two. Okay. What about not? I need to Okay, now you're you're derailing just a little bit. I'm going to come back to you, but I did that one wrong too, by the way. So you can think about what I did wrong there while I'm answering this question. What were you asking? Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Should I use a hard copy Bible where it's what about using the electronic Bible? You can use whatever Bible you you, you want to use. Um, I like them to use their Bible. I like them to have a Bible. I heard somebody asking this morning about Bible translations. I never make an issue with Bible translations with somebody. It makes you sound cultish. When you tell somebody, oh, you need to, you really ought to have this Bible, then they start to think, why do I have to have your kind of Bible? Even if their Bible is not the best, it could be a paraphrase. I mean, you could have them with something like the message, which is not a Bible. The message, anybody know what the message is? You familiar with it? Eugene Peterson. I mean, you got one guy and it's his paraphrase, okay? But you got to be careful not to dog what they're using because that, you know, it sounds to them like you're telling them you got to use their, your certain kind of Bible. Now, if somebody is using something like the message, and if you've ever done a study, at Emanuel Institute, we would, after we worked with the students for a while, one of their tests was to give us a Bible study and we would have a group study with myself and Pastor Roth and uh, Pastor Tom Hubbard. He's laughing back there because he remembers their group studies. And, uh, and the student. And Emmanuel would always use the Message Bible because it's a, it's, a, it's a very strong paraphrase. So it doesn't sound anything like the verse. You're, you know, you're, you're trying to fill in the blanks and you're just like, this doesn't even sound close. And, and you know, we did that to challenge the student. Because you run into that. But if I have something like that happen where the person is using something that is so far off, then I would recommend to them. Now, what I'll do initially is if I'll let them read it in their Bible, and then I'll say, now listen to how my Bible words that. That's all I'll say. So I won't, I won't say, oh, that's terrible. I'll say, that's interesting, <laughs> right? That's interesting. Listen to how my Bible words that. And then we'll discuss and whatever. But then I may suggest to them that, when you're using a Bible, you know, you might have found some difficulty filling out the lesson. You probably want to work with a Bible translation. The message is a paraphrase, and that's fine to use for, you know, when you're comparing with things. But I may explain to them the difference with a paraphrase and a translation. And I'd recommend a few translations that they may use. I personally use a New King James, etc. So, but electronic Bible or whatever, you can use what you want to use. I know some people are not going to tell you that. I've heard it. I've heard sermons recently. I heard somebody tell a sermon. I forget who it was. But it said, you know, when you come to church, you should use your, you should really bring the Bible with pages in it. I, I like that. I prefer that. I preach with my iPad and I still use my Bible. But, you know, when you're giving Bible studies, if you want to use an electronic Bible, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you're conveying the same Bible truth. So, yes. You've got to walk them through. I'll tell you, when I do a prophecy seminar, I don't have it here. I have a, yeah, I have a, I just got, I just got a, Nelson Publishers makes a hardbound, you know, they make pew Bibles, and if you've ever done any search for these kind of things, hardbound pew Bibles for your church, 
I was trying to get some Bibles for meetings. We get pew Bibles cheap, but they have this really tiny print that nobody can read. So I paid for our Bibles. I think I paid like $10 a Bible. I've seen them on Amazon for that, but they're hardbound. Actually, the Bible I chose to use for my evangelistic series is the very same Bible that's the new It Is Written. If you've seen the new It Is Written study Bibles, it's the same Bible, and then they have the It Is Written notes in the back. But I, didn't, I don't like to use study Bibles. I just want the Bible with the Bible text. They call it a giant print, and it's not anywhere close, but it's page the same. And so what I've got is I've got the seminar Bibles, and then I got one with a different cover, but it's the same Bible, but it's page the same. Now, you might have a Bible that you use when you're giving Bible studies. Um, for example, I mentioned to you the other day, I've got my Ellen White study Bible. I don't use that when I go on a Bible study. Uh, I don't use a study Bible when I go on a Bible study. You might have a Bible you dedicate to Bible studies where you know you can get other Bibles that may not, because you can't afford to you know, necessarily pay a $50 for a Bible every time you go to a Bible study, but you may find something that you say, I can afford a nice seminar-type Bible or whatever that's paged the same. That can be helpful. Or you just walk them. A lot of times I just walk them through the text. Now, if we go to the New Testament, uh, we're going to the book of Ephesians. So you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And then sometimes I give them the Georgia Electric Power Company or George Eats Popcorn, or I don't know if you ever heard that before, the acronym for Galatians, George Galatians, Eats, Ephesians, Pop, Philippians, Corn, Colossians. So you know the order of them because some people get them mixed up. And it sounds corny, no pun intended, but it helps them to remember. They don't forget that. Anyway, um, so sometimes I just walk them through. But you, if they're new to it, you take time for them to get there. And um, you might, for a, you know, if you're leaving a lesson with them, you're going to have to coach somebody and say, you know, you've got a, uh, a table of contents in the beginning of the Bible, and as they're filling out the lesson, they can go through that table of contents, and they'll get it. What, people get excited. I've seen them in seminars. They come to seminars, and one of the things that, that excites them is at the end, after turning to so many texts, they kind of know their way around the Bible, and they feel real good about that. And they're going to feel that way the same way in your Bible studies. Uh, Ed, yes. Uh, a lot of times I will proactively just say, now, bear with me because I keep forgetting what's where. So I go to the front of my Bible to the table of contents, and I look to see where the, where the book is and where the page is, and then I can turn to it. And that way I don't put them on the spot to make them feel like, oh, I don't really know where my books in my Bible are. So I, I act sort of dumb. Mm -hmm. And so this way... They feel, oh, okay, then he doesn't really know, but he's, we're both on the same page. Mm -hmm. The only drawback to that, Ed, is you could lose their confidence in you leading out the Bible study. So, um, but you, you, you basically want to make sure that they get there where you are, and you use several methods of, of doing that. Now, what did I mess up on that? We've been chatting for a little bit. What did I mess up on the second go around on this thing? Or what, what, what the scripture meant instead of asking them what they Okay. Yeah. Right. So what's going to happen is this. Here's what you'll see. I've done this before. I mean, the reason I know how to do in, in the, the, the example here the wrong way is because I've given a lot of wrong way Bible studies. God uses wrong way Bible studies, by the way, and, and, and he can work through that too. But it's not as effective your goal 
in the Bible study is twofold. You want them to learn the truth for themselves, and you want them to learn how to get the truth for themselves. And what happens is if I'm reading, or even if I'm having them read the text, and then I give the answer, you train them very quickly so that from now on, you'll go to question, you'll be in study three, four, or five. If question number two, you know, I'll read the question, I'll say, uh, can you read that for me, Tom? And Tom will read it, and then when he's done reading it, he's going to go like this. And what's he looking for? The answer. And I've just become the pope to him. I'm going to interpret everything for him, and I'm going to direct. And you don't want that. I want that person to learn how to get the answer out of the Bible. Okay? If you do the Bible studies right, when you get done, not only will they have learned the truth, they'll learn how to find the truth from Scripture. They're going to be more confident in the truth because they saw it in Scripture, and they got it from Scripture. And there's a little coaching that happens as you do that. So the way I would we'll go this a third time here, how does God demonstrate that he can be trusted? Janelle, the text is Isaiah 46, 9, and 10. Could you read that for us, please? Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Okay, now if I'm giving the lesson, let's just say I'm not, I don't have the lesson guide here and I'm just doing the question and answer. Once I'm done with that, I'm going to say, okay, Janelle, now the question is, how does God demonstrate that he can be trusted? From that text, what is the answer? So I'm going to ask the question again, and I want her to answer me from the text. Now, you know what you're going to get there with a lot of people? <laughs> Silence. Because they don't know how to get the answer out of the text. I mean, you've just read it, but they're looking at it. And how does God demonstrate that he can be trusted? I don't know. I didn't see that in there. I mean, they just may not get it. Now, my temptation is going to be to say, well, what's my temptation going to do? Going to be to just tell them. But I don't want to tell them because if I do that, I'm, I'm creating that situation again where they're just, they're not wanting to tax their mind or they don't know how to do it. And they're just, if I tell them, they're going to be like, hey, this is cool. And they'll be glad to have me tell them. Most people would be glad to have you tell them. So how do I get them to the answer without telling them? I can ask them to reread it, but you're probably going to get the same result. So... I'll coach them, okay? Now, in the lesson, in a, in a, in a fill-in-the-blank lesson, usually the blanks are put in places to try to emphasize certain points that will draw out the answer. But either or, let's just say I'm using it. I'm not going to use a lesson at first. Let's say you're doing a question and answer, and I don't have this lesson in front of me like it is. Or even if I did, I might do it th differently. Um, I asked Janelle, and she doesn't know. You're just not sure. Well, let's look at the text again. Look at verse 9. Now it says, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is what? No other. I am God and there is none like me. So what's God saying here? 
He's one of a kind. There's nobody like him. They're, you know, they could give any number of answers, but I'm, gonna, I'm breaking it down. I'm going to ask him. So God is saying there's nobody like him, and he's about to tell us why. Why is there nobody like him? Why is he so unique? Verse 10 says, declaring the what? The end from the beginning. And from when? Okay, now, I, and I'm doing this my way, but you might, do, you might have her read the, declaring from ancient times, or I, you know, I might have her read again. And, and doing what, Janelle? What's the next part say? Declaring the end from the beginning. Now, what do you think that means from ancient times? Okay, what happened in the past? So God says he declares the what? The, what does it say there in verse 10? The end from the beginning and from the past, things that are what? What's that? The future. So what's he saying? What makes him different? He knows everything. He knows what's going to happen. When? In the future. He knows what's going to happen in the future. When does he know it? Before it happens. And that's what the Bible calls prophecy. Okay. So I've asked the questions, and I'm going to ask until I get the answer from her. And I may have to coach a little bit and say, well, let's look at this again. And, you know, it, it is kind of odd wording. From ancient times, things that are not yet done. Well, we don't necessarily talk that way. So you might have to do a little coaching. But when it's said and done, she's going to learn how, oh, there, yeah, I see what the Bible's saying. And now when she gets done with the lesson and we get done with the study, she's not saying, well, this is what you teach or your church teaches or this pastor teaches or this person teaches. She's going to know it's what the Bible teaches, and that's your goal. Are you following what I'm saying there? More than that, it also engages them and keeps them active in the study. So one of the things I may even do, if I'm giving a study, I will usually, so let's say I'm giving Janelle and Tom a study. What I'll typically do is I'll be studying and I'll read a question and then I'll read the text. I'll have Tom do the next text. I'll have Janelle do the next text and we'll take turns. Or I may have them go back and forth, okay? But, but one way or the other, we'll, we'll rotate around, and if either I'm reading or they're reading, and this is just how I do it sometimes, so this may sound rude to you. I'm not sure. I'm going <laughs> to practice on Janelle on verse 9 again. Go, go ahead and read verse 9, Janelle. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none. Okay, hold on just a minute there, Janelle. Now, what's he saying? I may interject in the middle of what they're reading, especially some questions. You'll have a question and answer, and you may have a long passage. And if you just have them read that long passage, they're probably going to get lost in it. You might get lost in it. So sometimes I'll break it up, and I'll, you know, where are we so far? So it's the same thing I was doing after the fact when she didn't know the answer, but I may just pause in the middle of a passage and say, what, you know, what is that saying to you? And then I'll, we'll dialogue about it until we're on the same page. And I'll say, okay, why don't you go on to verse 10 and read verse 10. Now, if you're giving the study, they're, they're kind of expecting that to some degree because you're the teacher. And so it's, it may, you, know, you may be like, well, that's kind of rude. You're kind of cutting in on them. But I've never had people say, well, that's rude. They, like I said, when you're teaching, they're kind of expecting and they appreciate it if you're helping them to understand it. I'm not telling you you have to do that. I'm just saying... That's one of the things I'll do to keep from long passages and monotonous reading to keep the engage, you know, people engaged in the study. 
So if you're doing a married couple and you want them to give you the answer, if say the husband is the one that's answering all the questions, yeah. you at some point say, let's let Janelle answer this one. I, what I would do instead is I would say, so we read verse 9. Of course, I just had her read it, so that already is an indicator. But I could say, so Janelle, what is that? How do you, how do you understand that? When I say Janelle, then you know, her husband, Ron, Ron wouldn't be answering. If he did answer, I may say at some point, you know, um, you, you've got to be a little careful with that because you don't want to be. So if, let's say uh, that I had Janelle and Ron, and they're studying, and I ask the question, and Ron answers. And I'd say, okay, that's good. Now, Janelle, did you see that? Or what, how did you see that text? So I might just include her that way. Okay? And y you want to be inclusive in the study. It, it isn't uncommon that one person may do more of the talking and then just address the person by name who hasn't given as many answers just to make sure they're, they're on board. And periodically, you can ask through the study. Now, are you following this? Does this make sense? You don't want to do that all the time. It gets too... I mean, can you imagine every question, question, answer? Okay, or does that make sense? Okay, question number two, does that make sense? You can overdo that. But you do want to make sure that they're with you. Now, I've seen people study all the way through a study and, and, and they've lost the person they're studying with on question two. And, and that's easy to do when you're doing all the talking. When you're engaging them in the process, then it's easier for them to, to keep caught up. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.